Oh, bless the Lord, CCC. How we doing this morning? Uh, in the old school church, they used to say that I wouldn't serve a God that I could not feel sometime. And uh, boy, you guys were killing it back there. We, we felt them. Let's give them a round of applause. We praise the Lord for the worship team. Let's give them a round of applause as well. Uh, there is something special to being uh, a part of the community and the family of God, where you can actually call people who are not blood-related family, but you call them family. And so uh, we're, we're grateful to have that here as part of our culture at CCC and CCCLI, so let's give it up for ourselves as a family. Well, my name is Minister Paul. Uh, if my wife hadn't reminded me, I'd have forgotten my name this morning. <laughs> she admonished me not to rush in, that I should at least introduce myself, because the last time I was up here, I forgot to introduce myself and nobody knew who I was. It's like I was a phantom of the opera up here or something. Uh, so, no, I'm Minister Paul, and I am grateful to have this opportunity this morning uh, to continue what we've been talking about in terms of the theme of evangelism. Everybody say evangelism. evangelism. Evangelism is that process and that way and that time that we get to share our story and introduce the good news of Jesus Christ uh, to our friends. Uh, before, we do, let, before I continue, uh, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we are grateful today. We thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to be here to hear and be changed and impacted by the power of your word. We thank you for how uh, you've saved our lives and are in the process of saving others. And so we just thank you for the miracle that it is for us to be connected to you. And so we appreciate you. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive the truth of what you're communicating today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as we talk about evangelism, there are several kind of uh, anomalies and misnomers. There is, you know, what first we have to tackle what is evangelism, and then we got to tackle why should we evangelize in the first place. And if those two are not daunting enough, then we've got to answer two more questions. When should we evangelize? And then how should we evangelize? And so for a lot of us, evangelism is a word that we know and somewhat understand, but we have trouble doing. Everybody say doing. Sometimes uh, if we don't have the skills and the tools, then we cannot fix what we're trying to fix. Amen? And so part of what we've been trying to do as we've talked about evangelism over this uh, last month is to put tools in your tool belt. Uh, Glenn will understand that. Put tools in your tool belt that will help you uh, do the things that God has called you to do. Uh, you know, I am, I am uh, what they call a pseudo-techie. I have all of the tech products without knowing how to use them all. So I have to have the technology, but it doesn't matter to me whether I really know how to use it fully. I just want to make sure I have the gadget, right? So one of those gadgets for me is Apple. Apple Watch, iPad, MacBook, I, I have them all. And sometimes those pieces of technology, uh, there is some trouble. Everybody say trouble. There's some trouble using those products. And so, you know, before I call people, I hate to get on the phone 
because they pass you along your first five to 10 minutes you spend trying to get to a live voice to talk to. And then I'm the person who shouts at the phone when they, says, when they say, hey, did I get that right? I'm saying no, and they keep talking over me. So now I'm screaming at an automated voice that's not responding to me. I just keep screaming, customer service, customer service, customer service, <laughs> until they actually get me to that place. But before I actually go there, uh, when I'm online searching, there is a section called Frequently Asked Questions, right? How many of you have seen that anywhere? So before you actually call them, there are some things that you can do to troubleshoot before you actually make an additional call and have to waste all of your time on phones with people who might not be able to help you. Now, I must say I'm generally glad when they're done because they are helpful. It's just what it takes in the process to get me the help that I need. And some of that is what we're going to cover today in evangelism. So I want to start with um, frequently asked questions when it comes to evangelism. And I want to answer those in the four ways. Uh, I wasn't the sharpest uh, knife in the drawer in school, uh, but I knew how to do a couple of things that they asked. And it's in the format of the frequently asked questions, who, where, what, when, why, and how. Uh, we're not going to tackle all of those, but we're going to tackle four of those. And then I'm going to provide a framework for what it means uh, practically in the scriptures to evangelize. Here's the first frequently asked question. Who is supposed to evangelize? Who is supposed to evangelize? Now, without a show of hands, if I ask that question, half of you would say that we're all supposed to evangelize. Some of you would say people in ministry who are preaching are supposed to evangelize. Some of you might say that people on TV who draw big crowds, they're supposed to evangelize. Here's the real answer to that question. We are all evangelists. Amen. We are all supposed to be in a position where we're sharing the good news of Jesus uh, to people in our sphere of influence, which I'll come back to. A few years back, we were, uh, as, a, as a ministry staff, we were asked to read a book called Inside the Magic Kingdom. And Inside the Magic Kingdom was getting behind the curtain of how uh, Disney do, does its day-to-day -day operations down to how they serve. And so one of the questions that was posed is, is who is the janitor? Who is the janitorial service for Disney? And they said everybody is part of the janitorial service for Disney. In fact, we don't call our staff janitorial staff, we call them characters because everybody in Disney is a character. Somehow, they fit into the broader narrative and story that Disney is trying to communicate. And so what they said was, is if Mickey Mouse or Minnie Mouse is walking by and they see an ice cream wrapper on the ground, as hard as it is for them to put those big hands together, <laughs> Their goal is to take those big gloves, those oversized oven mittens, and reach down as best they can to pick up that wrapper and make sure that it gets in the trash. That's the way that they have of including everybody in the total Disney experience. So when we talk about evangelism, who is supposed to evangelize? We are all evangelists. We do not need a special title to evangelize. 
Whoever, whatever your name is, put evangelist in front of it because you are called and have been chosen to evangelize. The Bible says how to, like, he uses the foolishness of the gospel, the foolishness of preaching. And how does he use that foolishness? Not by foolish people, but he puts it, he puts his word in us and he uses people to evangelize. If you look at all of the apostles that we've heard of, if you look at Peter, if you look at Paul, if you look at Stephen, if you look at Timothy, if you look at all of them, Mark, Luke, all of them were an evangelist because they were all telling people about the wonderful news of who Jesus was, how Jesus changed their life, and how Jesus could change the individual's lives that they were talking to as well. The format was different. Peter was the ruckus dude. He would stand up in the middle of a crowd and start screaming about how good God is. Stephen, he, he sat down until he could no longer take it anymore. It was like in Jeremiah, it was like fire shut up in his bones. And when he could no longer take it, he gets up and he begins talking about who Jesus is. If you look at Philip, Philip happens to be the Lord directs him some way and he sees a guy in a chariot who's reading the Bible and he says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I understand unless somebody tells me? So Philip walks up alongside him and begins to tell him what he was reading and about the goodness of Jesus. Everybody was an evangelist. Why? Because everybody's life was changed by Jesus. There was nobody who had an encounter with Jesus whose life was not changed regardless of how they responded to his interaction. So here's the second frequently asked question. Where should, where should we evangelize? Where should we evangelize? Now, we're not just talking about just the church. The church is one place. How many know evangelism is still necessary and required in church? Right? Not everybody who comes into the church is a believer when they walk in, but somehow because there's some evangelism going on in the preaching and in the worship that draws people to Jesus, they come in as one thing and they leave out another. That's just one place. Here's the punchline. You should evangelize in your sphere of influence, wherever that sphere is. Evangelism, and I'm going to give you kind of a, uh, my, my mom, I don't know how I figured out how I came up with this, but my, my mom's name is Fran. So I kind of used her name and came up with this acronym to figure out what your f- spheres of influence look like. F stands for friends. You should evangelize your friends, people that you call your acquaintances that you see on a, on a regular basis. R, relatives. Listen, we all know we got family who needs Jesus. But we also know that is one of the hardest places for us to evangelize. A stands for associates. 
People that, you're, people that you, you may not see every day, but you see them often enough, and you're having enough casual conversations and real-life conversations that at some point in time, it would be normal and natural, right, for the conversation about who Jesus is to come up. And then N stands for neighbors. Neighbors. So where should you evangelize? You should evangelize in your sphere of influence. You're evangelizing to the world, and you're evangelizing to the world through your friends, your relatives, your associates, and your neighbors. Next question is, when should I evangelize? When should I evangelize? Bible says it this way, you should always be ready to do that. It says, be prepared for any opportunity. That means we have to have our eyes open, our ears uh, sensitized, and our hearts prepared because there will be an opportunity where the Lord will present and open an opportunity for you to share the gospel. Every second, every day, there is always going to be, if you're looking, if you're paying attention, there's going to be an opportunity for you to share the good news of Jesus Christ. We should always be on duty. The last question is how should I evangelize? How should I evangelize? First of all, you should evangelize with one message, not seven, right? You're not preaching. Let me say that again, you're not preaching. The reason I repeat that is because some people uh, fear evangelism because they boil evangelism down to a position and not a lifestyle, right? If you see evangelism as something that only preachers should do, you will never do it, right? And so it's because it's not just for preachers. When you look at how you evangelize, you're evangelizing with one message. It is that Jesus came, that Jesus died, that Jesus was resurrected, and that Jesus is coming again. And in the process, that man, Jesus, changed my life. Amen. That's what you're sharing. Second thing, principle, I would say you've got to keep in mind when you're evangelizing is all of your evangelism should be driven and directed by love. Right? It should be driven and directed by love. It is hard to lead someone to Jesus if you don't first love them as Christ loved you. Because when it comes to opening your mouth and beginning to share the good news, you won't because there's a barrier, a personal barrier in your heart that pertains to that particular person. So when you're sharing that message, love should be uh, the driving force behind it. When you're evangelizing, there's a difference between a dialogue and a monologue. Right? When I'm standing here, it is a monologue, me talking to you. 
asking you to talk back every so often, but at the end of the day, it is a monologue. But when you're evangelizing, it is a dialogue. It is a, a conversation that you're allowing people to have. You're asking good questions. They're responding, right? They're sharing their heart. You're listening. People spend so much time thinking about how much they should talk in evangelism that they never get a chance to listen in evangelism. And if I'm totally honest, it's not because you don't want to listen. You're a little scared of the silence, and you feel like if I don't get into evangelizing right now, I'm not going to do it. There are things and ways that you can approach evangelism, right, that actually calms your nerves in the process. You do not have to get through it in the first three minutes. You do not have a shot clock when it comes to evangelism. So keep in mind, monologue versus dialogue, right? Another principle. Evangelism may take time. How many of you have ever been in an evangelistic situation when you're sharing Jesus and you feel defeated because when you walked away, they did not come to the Lord in that particular conversation? Sometimes that dialogue takes time. It takes understanding. It takes trust, right? And because it takes it, if you put the pressure on you that they have to come to know Jesus at the end of this conversation, then not only are you defeated, but you have made yourself Jesus in the process. Right? Not intentionally, because I know that's not what you want, and you want people to come to know who Jesus is. But you also have to understand the context of the relationship with the person that you're, that you're having a conversation with. So I'm going to walk through five, uh, five quick things, right, that happen in the process of evangelism. Number one, listen. Number two, expose. Number three, reveal. Number four, respond. And number five is lead, right? Listen, expose, reveal, respond, and lead. Uh, let me insert this, this quick insertion here. There, I'm giving you principles that will facilitate uh, your ability to evangelize. But here's the thing. There is not a cookie-cutter way that it's done, right? The Lord uses your personality, your background, your story, your experiences in the process of leading a person to Jesus. If you stick yourself to a script, a script is useful as a guide, but it is a, it is a horrible taskmaster. Because if the script becomes your taskmaster, the things that the Lord is showing you, you will miss because you're so tied to the script that you can't see what he's doing in the process. Amen. 
I would say we have a huge opportunity here, right? There are opportunities everywhere, but we have a huge opportunity here. Pastor Jamal has talked about, uh, he's hinted, he's actually not even hinted, he's thrown it out. He's talked about going to a second service at some point, right? Do you know how we get to a second service? Evangelism. That's how we get to a second service. Why is that? Because we are inviting and bringing and having conversations with who are friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors. When, if we continue those conversations with those set of people, guess what happens to this building? There's, we need more space. Because there is a constant invitation to know who Jesus is. You're, you're starting a conversation back home in the neighborhood and on the job that continues here in the local assembly. And, and, and in that process, people, not everybody will come to this church, but some will come to this church. You know why? They'll come to this church because they're comfortable with who invited them to attend. It is very rare that people just stumble into a church. It happens. I've heard it happen. I've seen it happen. Most people get to a church because they were invited by somebody they trust and know. When you look at the number of people who come to Christ, the percentages would say that, but what is it, 40% of people who come to know Jesus come to know Jesus because of personal encounters with another individual. As much as we consider things like the Billy Graham crusade and Nikki Cruz, which is great, has been a tremendous blessing to the body, that is only one part of how people come to Jesus, right? The apostles had more one-on-one conversations that you see recorded in scripture than all of the large gatherings. Were large gatherings a part of what they did? Absolutely, but it was the individual conversations. With the, with the Ethiopian eunuch or uh, Paul standing up in the, in, the, in the middle of Corinthians saying, hey, this was, you know, this one God right here that you don't know, let me explain him to you. Smaller conversations, individualized, and here's the deal. Jesus was gone, so they weren't waiting on Jesus to come back and do the work that God had put in them and before them to do. Again, as a reminder, if you leave here with nothing else, you are an evangelist. It's not going to show up on a business card. It's not going to show up on a website, right? It's not going to show up on some marquee where you're like this, right? That's not going to happen. But your job, Scripture, calls us to be evangelists. It calls us to talk about the goodness of Jesus. Now, here, let me, I'm getting wound up here real quick. Um, Ah, thank you, Lord. Everybody talks about wanting to see miracles. Who wants to see a miracle of God? Raise your hand. If you were called, if, you're, if the Lord sent you to a cemetery to raise somebody from the dead, would you call that a miracle? Would you take somebody with you? Hey, I'm not going by myself. Even, the, even, even when Jesus sent out the 72, they went in twos. So you would call going to a cemetery and raising the dead a miracle of God. 
I want you to know at the end of evangelism, that is what happens. That is a miracle of God. We talk about wanting to see miracles that we miss every Sunday. Because when somebody comes to know who Jesus is, that is a miracle of God. The only person who can take somebody from death to life, that is a miracle of God. The only person who can take them from where they sat and move them to where they are, that is a miracle of God. And we miss that miracle often because we don't consider that a miracle. The blinded eyes, the lame who walk, we consider those miracles. The largest miracle we have that's the most frequent is a man or woman who goes from death to life. That is the miracle of God. If you want to see a miracle, evangelism is a part of that miracle. Because you're sharing the miraculous process of how Jesus came, what he did, how he lived, how he died, how he was buried, how he was raised, and how he's sitting on the right hand of the Father. That is a miracle that keeps on giving. And the Lord gives us an opportunity to play a part, to play a role in the miracle that he wants to create, the miracle that he wants to perform. Because at the end of the day, after all of our evangelism, the scripture says, unless I do the drawing, they can't come. In other words, we can do all that we do, but unless the Lord keeps pulling, that's not happening. He doesn't tell us not to be faithful in our evangelism, faithful in our process, but he says at the end, if I don't draw them, they're not coming. Me drawing them and them coming is a miracle. I've just had the opportunity to use you in the process to share about the good news that's happened in my life because of that man, Jesus. So I'm going to take a shot at this. I was talking to my wife beforehand. I told her I was going to try to use the board, but I was a little nervous about, you know, using the board. There's like kind of a glow and a grail around this that you kind of not, you don't really want to touch. But I'm actually going to try this today uh, because one of the things I want to be able to do is give you some practical tools and some things to say a little bit of a script so you understand when evangelism is happening, you understand what you're communicating in the process. Now, we talked about a couple of things. We're going to communicate how Christ changed our life first right? The best witness, if somebody's going to have their life changed, is that your life was changed first. Can I get an amen? amen? If your life is the same, it's useless to tell somebody else how to change their life if your life is still the same. You know, I saw a movie. Uh, anybody saw Weekend at Bernie's? So conceptually, they take this dead man and they walk him around everywhere. They prop him up. They take him on sailboats. They take him to parties. They take him shopping. I mean, they put him behind the wheel of a car. I mean, they do everything. Here's the thing. They're trying to prop up a dead man as if he's living. 
at the end of the day, he was dead. He was not alive. And they spent a bunch of time trying to prop this dead man up. So instead of propping the dead man up, why don't we get the dead man to the healer so he can be raised? Here's how we're going to get the dead man to the living. So here's when we are evangelizing, here are some of the core things that we're communicating, right? And I'm going to write a couple verses here that help us clarify. Romans 6.23 says this. It says, for the wages of sin is death, right? That is the hard news we first start communicating. When we have relationship, when we're involved with a person and we're evangelizing, we do have to do a good job of communicating both the bad news and the good news. Amen? Amen. We can't tell them they're well because if we tell them they're well, then there's no need for a doctor. Correct? Jesus said, I came to heal the sick, not the well to bring the sinner to repentance. So that's who we're trying to draw. For the wages of sin is death, right? Right, the wages of sin is death. But on the other side, we have a loving God who is waiting uh, to, to get connected to us, waiting for us to respond to the drawing that he's doing on our heart. But here's the problem. We have a loving God, right? And on the other side, we have someone who's get, who knows the wages of sin is death, and they are separated from God because of their sin. Amen? Amen. Right? Sin, not just uh, the list of do's and don'ts, but the heart condition that they were born into. When you're evangelizing, don't get caught in the list of do's and don'ts. Sin is a condition of the heart that we all had. Sin is both noun and verb. Say noun and verb. Sin is both noun and verb. Sin is noun in the sense that it is the thing. It's what we were born with, and that noun leads to the verb of the actions, right? So sin is both noun and verb, and what we get, the payment that we get, the wage that we get for that sin is death. Well, that death separates us from the love of God. If we are ever going to get from here to here, if we're ever going to get in the middle of this chasm, we need some help. We need a bridge, and that bridge is who? Thank you, you saved us. That bridge is Jesus, right? Unless we have the bridge that we talk about that helps us get over troubled waters because life is troubled water without him, we will never get to the love of the Father. Right? So what are we asking people to do in here in the middle? We are asking them to believe in Jesus. We are asking them to believe in Jesus. Say that with me. We are asking them to believe in Jesus. That's what we're asking. And we're communicating because we, they are now going to believe in, repent of their sin, right? And now believe in Jesus. They have access to the second half of Romans 6 and 23, that says this, but the gift, everybody say the gift. Yes. 
The gift of God is eternal life. Let me write free gift. Now let me clarify, that gift is free to us, but it cost him his everything, right? It cost him his life, it's free to us, but it did not come cheap, right? His blood that was shed for us cost him something to make sure that we were able to get from death to life, from darkness to light, it cost Jesus his very life. And because we get them into a place where we say, here's the deal. We know the wages of sin is death. We know the condition. And we know without Jesus, you are certain to die. We understand that and we know that. But because of Jesus, as you begin, if you believe in Jesus, if you believe that he was here, that he was born, that he died, that he was raised from the dead, and that he's ever making intercession for you, that you can be saved if you will only do one thing, can turn and repent of your sin. To say that I know I've fallen short of your righteous standard, and because of that, I need the bridge that will get me over the chasm from darkness to light. When you look at this, this is the miracle that we're talking about. It is the miracle of being taken from death to life. It is the miracle that changes somebody's outlook and disposition in life and moves them to another place that they never expected that they could get to. It is the place where wounds, old wounds that need to be healed, they become healed. It's the place where, where there's bondages and chains need to be broken that a person can be delivered. It is the only place, it's the only way you don't have a self-help book. There's not enough literature. You can't have enough mentors. You can't have enough conversations to take care of the chasm that you got between yourself and God when it comes to sin. But it's the gracious gift of God. It is the free gift of God. It is the miracle of God that takes us from death to life. My prayer is, is as you leave, and I'm going to uh, review briefly, that you understand that who's supposed to evangelize. Yes, it's me. It's you. Regardless of title, where should I evangelize? I should evangelize in my sphere of influence. My friends, my relatives, my associates, my neighbors, when should I evangelize? I should always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that's within me. And how should I evangelize? I should evangelize patiently, lovingly. I should listen, right? I should expose, I should reveal, I should respond, and I should lead. And as I get ready to take my seat, there's an encounter in John 4 with a woman at the well and if you look at Jesus' model and his encounter with this woman at the well, this woman at the well showed up at a time that different time than other women showed up at the well because of the shame and the guilt of her sin. And when Jesus shows up at the well, he does not start by saying, woman, you're a sinner, repent, or you're going to hell. That's not what he says. He asks her, he enters her world, and he asks her for something simple. He says, can I have something to drink? 
She rebuttals. She says, well, um, you, you know, you Jews and Samaritans, we really don't get down together. Plus, you don't have a bucket deep enough to give me water, to get water. And Jesus said, well, if you knew the water I was really talking about, you would ask me to give you a drink and I would give you living water so that you would never have to come back to this well again. If you look at Jesus' encounter, he's pulling her in by the questions that he asked and the dialogue that she's having. He captures her in ways and, and places that are very familiar to her experience. Then when he tells her to go get her husband, he didn't embarrass her. She, he asked a simple question and she answered it. Right. And so that's where he began to reveal the cracks that were in her life. And he said, listen, if you let me give you water, I'll give you water so that you'll never thirst again. And then she comes back and now she's excited because now she's converted, transformed and thinking about the goodness of God. And so then she goes back. What does she do? Evangelism begats evangelism. Because what does she do after that uh, interaction with Jesus? She goes in back to the hood and says, hey, everybody come out and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. So when good evangelism takes place, evangelism is a byproduct. It continues because someone who is excited and overjoyed about what the Lord has done in them begins to tell other people about what the Lord has done in them. And then other people begin to enjoy what the Lord has done in them. And it becomes this process where people are meeting Jesus often because people who have been transformed are telling people who need to be transformed. It would be foolish of me today to have had such an in-depth conversation about evangelism and not provide an opportunity for someone to respond to Jesus. Somebody is coming here today understanding that they were separated from God, don't know how they got invited, who invited them, but they showed up today apart from God. And through the process of today, it's been revealed that the only way I'm going to be able to get to God and remove the guilt and the stain of my sin is through the person of Jesus Christ, who shed his blood for me, shed his blood for you. I'm a person who likes miracles. I do. I love to see people whose eyes were blind see people who had trouble walking or were lame begin to walk. But I never want to miss the importance of this miracle of going from death to life. And so if that was you today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if Jesus is pulling on your heart today and you want to begin a personal relationship with him, I want to see your hand in the air. If you have a knot in your stomach right now and you can't decide what you're going to do, the Lord is talking to you. I've heard this said many times, but this has such significant meaning. It does take courage to change. And thank you for responding to the drawing and the tug of Jesus on your heart this morning. I promise you, by far, this is the best decision you have ever made.
I would encourage you to write this day down somewhere. Put it in, your, in, a, in a notebook, in a checkbook. Put it somewhere. Put it on your phone where you can remember that this is the day. July 28th. <laughs> that Jesus changed your life. Here's what the Bible says. It says, if you confess with your mouth, right? And if you believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead, it says that you are saved. It does not leave your salvation and your rescue and your transition from darkness to life up to question. There is no question, right? He has sealed it. There are going to come difficult days where you wonder what, if anything really happened. It did. It has. And it's going to continue to happen. I want to pray for you. And after I pray for you, if you will turn well, yeah, to my left and, and your right, uh, a couple of our ministers will also give you some information that will help you begin your walk and your journey with Jesus. Amen. So let me pray with you, and then I'm going to ask you to, you know, do a call and response and pray with me, all right? Father, we thank you for the miracle today. We thank you for the miracle of bringing three people from death to life, from darkness to light. We thank you for the miracle of raising them from the dead. We thank you that only you could have done this, that we only play a part, but if you don't draw, they can't come. And so we say, thank you. We say, thank you, oh God. Now I'm going to ask you to repeat after me. Father, thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. I confess my sin to you. You've been right all along, and I've been wrong. But today, I change direction. I repent. I make a commitment to walk with you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to the kingdom and the family of God. Now that is a miracle. My prayer is whenever you see that miracle, whenever you see that miracle, that you rejoice as if it's a miracle. That this wasn't something that's just happenstance. He raised people from the dead. That is Lazarus raised from the dead. That is Jesus, raised from the dead. Just like he raised them from the dead, he raised us from the dead. I hope you got something out of today. We are grateful uh, for what God has done and uh, that we never take for granted what it means when a person comes to Jesus. I'll say this as I close, as I studied, that realization, changed, that revelation changed my life, that that is a miracle of God, 
That is not just something that happens just because it happens. It is a miracle of God that was done in us that he continues to do in others. Amen? I'm so wound up, I'm going to forget. I need the screen. Thank you. <laughs> Can we raise our Bibles high, please? This Bible is our primary source of faith. This Bible is the rule of our conduct. This Bible creates the lens that we see life through as we leave this place, but never God's presence is Lord, period. We believe it, we proclaim it, and we're seeing it come to pass. God bless you. Have a great week.